0: Welcome to the Von Nelson Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Lead Senior Portfolio Manager and CIO Chris Wallace. Welcome, Chris.
1: Thanks, Dan. So, Chris,
0: it's been a, a crazy couple of weeks. Um, you know, we've seen an, an incredible amount of market volatility. Um, it, market volatility has really increased, and you know, we're seeing you know uh, on a on a fairly regular basis. It appears you know, over hundred basis point daily swings uh, in the market. Um, so, you know, there, there seems to be a fair number of causes of this. Pot- potentially, it's, it's tariffs. Potentially, it's, it's the wand devaluing. Um, could it be, you know, hard Brexit? I mean, there's, there's a fairly lengthy list. But, but what are you seeing out there um, that's causing this volatility? You know, any or all or, or, or perhaps uh, add to that list. We'd love to hear sure, your thinking.
1: Sure. Yeah, there's no shortages of worries out there uh, that would give rise to some volatility in the equity markets. But like as we've spoken about in the past, ultimately, this is going to be liquidity-driven. And so we have seen liquidity decline on the margin. We've seen, after the debt ceiling increase, the U.S. Treasury go out and start to replenish its coffers. Um, and so you know, for, the, for the rest of August, probably into September, we'd expect this volatility to kind of remain in place. But in addition to the liquidity that's kind of come out of the market— There's no question that economic data out of Europe has been weaker, the economic data out of Japan and elsewhere. It's abundantly clear we're in a manufacturing recession, and we're starting to see maybe that's going to spread into other areas of the economy, um, and that's what's driving a lot of this volatility. People, I think, maybe still have been positioned for a back half recovery or the stimulus we saw earlier in China was, was going to be taking effect by now, and that just seems to be delayed and being pushed out and to the right. So as data's been weaker and earnings estimates come down on top of uh, lower average levels of liquidity, we've seen a boost in volatility.
0: So, so you mentioned you know potential manufacturing recessions—recession, uh, a rather— um, any other parts of the market that you think are, you know, teetering on the edge or could potentially be, um, you know, another another uh, area of concern?
1: Not, not at this point. I mean, the U.S., our data and our services uh, sector of our economy seems to be doing well. Um, I, I'm not saying that I think we're reaccelerating. Uh, I do think there's further weakness to be had in economic data, but I don't think we're going to be approaching a recession here. And it really is isolated to the manufacturing space. And there's a host of reasons for it, whether it's weakness in the energy space, uh, a lot of weakness emanating out of China. You know, China is the incremental driver of the global um, business cycle and kind of global growth. So as they deal with their own internal imbalances, that's then feeding out to the rest of the world.
0: No, that's, that's good. And, you know, one of the other things that we're, you know, certainly experienced in the last week or two, um, is what's going on with the yield curve, right? And so we've seen the yield curve, you know, meaningfully flatten. Um, you know, if I'm just going to pick off a couple of. Of high points. We saw the 10 year dip below 1.6, um, first time in, in a number of years that we saw that. Uh, the 30 year uh, Treasury went below 2% for the first time. Um, and then we saw that the, the two year and 10 year invert for the first time in, um, in over a decade, since 2007. So, you know, is, is that leading, um, I guess you kind of we'll start there, but does that lead you to uh, any, you know, substantial concerns for you and what you're seeing out in the market? Yeah,
1: I, I'm not one that's in the camp that it's different this time. I think the yield curve is an incredibly deep market Um, there's certainly some nuances going on with the structured products and and the factor-based investing we seem to uh, let the greek letters drive what we what we invest in now more so than the underlying fundamentals so as there's a reach for duration and convexity that can cause some of the volatility in the curve but the the flattening that we've seen Uh, A, it began, you know, well over a year ago in the euro dollars market, and it's just kind of spreading globally across the sovereign curves, is unambiguous that it's uh, telling us that it's slower growth, weaker growth, more importantly, weaker inflation going forward and a higher risk of deflation. Uh, And it doesn't mean that we have to have a recession, but it just means we're not seeing in in the market and the global uh, a fixed income investor is not seeing anything that would indicate a bottom in the slowdown as far as economic growth goes.
0: So I'm going to hit back on that point you just described. You know, we're seeing a lot of, um, uh, if you're looking through investor news, right, people really hopped up on the two-year and 10-year inverting. And so if I've, I've looked at that, you know, that's happened five times in the past. You know, each time has been followed by a recession um, you know, it sounds to me like you're thinking, you know, this is this is a little bit more independent, you know, that the historical precedent, does that matter a little bit less in, in today's environment? It,
1: I, I won't say it matters less. I just think we gotta think about where we are. So, you know, when you look historically, we had higher levels of nominal growth. So when you went negative, the, the rate of change was much greater. Whereas in our current economic environment, where nominal growth is much lower to slow closer to recessionary levels, is just less of a incremental swing. So in that sense, it's a little easier to deal with. Um, But no, I I don't think we should be ignoring the inversion. Uh, I I think it's too early to say, you know, we're gonna, quote, enter a recessionary period. It just means if things don't stabilize soon and we stay on this slowing trajectory, uh, we're gonna have issues a year from now. So we do need to see some stability. And if you look at kind of the economic data for the last 12 months, we would probably see the worst of our economic data over the third quarter, maybe early into the fourth quarter. And then just year-over-year base effects will start to show some improvement unless there's a further deceleration. So that's where, you know, a hard Brexit, to the extent it had a knock-on impact to global growth or further uh, weakness out of China – then we would be setting ourselves up for even slower growth. Ultimately, the U.S. you know can't operate in a vacuum. It would succumb to that global weakness as well, and then we'd be nearing kind of recessionary conditions. Right. So uh,
0: you know, with where the U.S. sits today, um, you know, how, how do you go ahead and incentivize investors to begin looking at the, the longer end of the curve?
1: Yeah, it, that's a good question because um, it. I think it's going to be clear, unless we're going to go into just a deflationary trend for the next 10 years, that the yields that are out on the curve, not just in the sovereign market, but even in the private sector as well, are ridiculously low. And I'm not here to say that you know, they need to be materially higher. I don't think we go back to anything like even what we saw in the mid-90s. Uh, but the curve should be 100, 200 basis points higher. Probably across the space to offer any real yield. Um, and I don't think it's baked in the cake, even given the demographics, that we necessarily have to have a more deflationary or disinflationary environment over the next 10 years. I think it's rapidly the case that every major government in the developed world is recognizing that monetary policy has played the role that it can. And it wouldn't surprise me that over the next three to five years we're talking about kind of global synchronized deficit spending supported by monetary policy to drive growth and drive inflation and allow for some deleveraging so 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 you
0: know if you're if you're, you're thinking about it from from that perspective you know where it should be right but let's talk about a little bit about you know where it is and yeah. where it could go um, you know so there's a ton of noise surrounding negative rates globally um, there's if it's uh, my last count there's you know roughly 16 trillion. In negative yielding debt, um, you know, we saw uh, recently that Denmark is actually offering negative yield mortgages, um, which is really something. So, uh, you know, is it possible for, for negative rates to occur in the U.S.? And and I, I assume I, will well, say, you know, of course it's, it's possible, but maybe
1: more likelihood that yeah uh, that could happen here. Y- you know, I hope it doesn't. Um, it, if it would be a clear policy choice to allow negative rates to occur here, I don't think it would be driven necessarily by market forces driving the yield curve lower into negative territory, and then, you know, for some reason, the central bank following that path. Um, So, I I hope that's not the case. Again, I don't see any weakness to the extent now that would justify going to negative rates, Uh, and quite frankly, I'm not sure. In fact, I'm positive that negative rates are not the answer to the ills that exist in various economies around the world
0: yeah and I guess you could probably point at you know some of our European counterparts or, or Japan um, you know the negative interest rates are um, you know are they are they supporting growth in those areas at this point you think
1: no um, and, and this is how uh, you know I kind of gained confidence that monetary policy is kind of exhausted as far as the impact it's going to have on global growth um, there's some clearly there's debate among economists regarding uh, whether negative rates are are good for economies or good for growth or good for borrowers. Um, There's no debate in my mind. I think negative rates are a terminal disease that can kill you quickly or kill you slowly depending on the nature of your financial system. Um, And I don't even think they have to get negative for those those detrimental impacts to occur. When rates get low enough, lenders will pull back. There'll be less supply of credit period of end of story and what's really important for a banking system is that it has healthy levels of profits so that when credit losses occur they can be dealt with if you run a banking system on just marginal economics it's barely profitable and then you end up forcing banks to find other ways to make money you know beyond what fee income they can generate then they're going to go after either go out and make risky loans or buy securities that aren't really within their realm of expertise whether that's investing internationally and other risk assets in order to capture a spread but you know negative rates they ultimately are going to bankrupt your banking system they'll bankrupt your insurance companies and they'll bankrupt your pension plans Um, and what
0: about what about for investors right so these these rates right so you have you have negative rate loans yeah um you know by way of example, uh, this yet they get packaged up, they get resold. You know, who, yep. who's on the other end of this? Who, who's buying these? You know, who would want to? You buy know, these?
1: it's got to be a couple of players. It's either forced buyers, meaning for regulatory purposes they have to buy them. Uh, there's an argument to be made that it's a it's a bubble in the sense that there's enough momentum in the trade and enough belief that. You know we're going to have a European banking crisis, or China's you know credit system's going to implode or devalue and spread deflation, that you can buy these negative yielding, high duration assets, and if we just go down another one percent, then you can sell them to right. someone at a higher price and make money, um, and that's when you kind of get into this greater fools game. But I, you know, the the really negative impact of all this is you don't even have to go to an institutional investor, just go to the average family trying to save. Um, you don't want to push them further out the risk curve to generate a return. They, they need to be comfortable with what they're investing in. And so what ultimately happens in my mind is they end up investing in less risky assets, holding more cash, and boosting their savings rate instead of consuming. Um, And we've already seen data that kind of suggests this is what's happening in Europe. So it's certainly just crystal clear in my mind that negative rates are really bad. Um, And ultimately, while everybody here is discussing that the Fed may have to follow the rest of the world, and a lot of that's driven by the dollar strength, which is crimping kind of global liquidity and slowing things down, it doesn't mean necessarily that we need to take our rates lower to match the rest of the world. It may mean that the rest of the world needs to raise their rates to get closer to us. Right. And if that realization ever set in, then you'd see some significant volatility in the marketplace. Yeah.
0: No. That's 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 certainly interesting. You know, you think about and you mentioned you know what we would see back in the '90s. But even if you thought about what we were seeing, um, you know, ten ten years ago mm-hmm. or pre-crisis, rather, you know, um, you know potentially at rates you know five six percent. Yeah, um, but we're a lot closer today than to, to <laughs> negative. than we we already getting back to that spot. So absolutely. Uh, so last question, while I have here, you know, uh, every time the Fed comes out uh, and and Fed Chairman uh, speaks, uh, Powell speaks, it's um, well it seems like a roller coaster for the market. So you know, where do you think we go from here? And, and really, maybe more importantly, you know, what are the expectations of the Fed at this point? And, and yeah. how did, how is the market going to respond? Or, yeah, or how should it behave?
1: Look, I I think you know. The Fed's in a tough spot, um, and quite frankly, even without the Fed speak, I think we'd see the same level of volatility that we've seen in the marketplace. I, I don't think that you know the 800-point sell-off last week had anything to do with the uh, tweets around trade or anything else. It was really driven by the data that's been coming out of Europe and elsewhere, and likewise, the recovery we've seen in the last two days was driven by underlying economic data as well. Um, so, I, where we think we go from here, uh, we still do not see any improvement in the economic slowdown that's been underway. So, while it's been in the manufacturing space, we've seen it broaden out into services in other countries. Ultimately, we'll continue to see the slowdown here in the U.S. You know, our the research that we follow now shows that the weakness that we've seen in the general economy is going to be spreading into the employment side within the U.S. So they will continue to expect a slowing growth in the U.S., falling inflationary pressures or increasing deflationary pressures, and slowing employment growth. Uh, we're still not quite at the point where you would call it a recession, but all the pieces are falling into place that, again, if we don't see stability soon, then, in fact, we're going to be entering kind of one of these recessionary windows potentially in 2020. The Fed, should they not have raised last year, sure, Uh, no question that they went too far. Uh, But this has been a classic cycle. Fed raised, they went too far, they broke housing early, autos have slowed, they finally acknowledge it, they follow all the lagging indicators, they've cut rates once. Quite frankly, you know, cutting rates, uh, another 100 basis points may be interesting. I, I just don't think it's a needle mover. You know, the issues we have right now are not different because rates are necessarily too high. It's more structural in nature.
0: Good. Well, great. Well, Chris, thank you again for your insights. This was, this was terrific. And um, we will certainly look forward to having you again here in, in short,
1: toward, you short bet. time. You Thanks, Thanks, Dan.
0: The views, information